Hello everyone. Before the show starts, I just wanted to give a quick note about the technical difficulties we had while recording remotely with Amy. Uh, for some reason, there was a delay in her receiving my questions or answers and vice versa. So sometimes we kind of talked on top of each other, but that happens sometimes when you do record via the internet. Otherwise, it was a great conversation and I really appreciate Amy coming on to talk about her book, Mina and the Undead. So sit back and relax and thank you again for listening. Unlike what it says in the movies, having a vampire watch you sleep isn't a turn-on, I said. I actually got to see a free preview of the Buffy movie before it actually hit theaters. So they have, you know, and when they did that, it was so funny because um, I took a group of friends. My parents had gotten the free preview tickets and they dropped us off to the movie. And I had um, taken some friends with me and we sat down at the, in our row. And then I ended up switching seats with one of them. And then when they, the host came out before starting the movie, he said, hey, check under your seat. If you're the third person, if you're in the third seat of each row. And I ended up being in that seat, which I, he got so mad. And I ended up getting a Buffy t-shirt. Amazing. Yeah, I don't have the t-shirt oh, anymore. I have gosh. no idea what happened to it. But it was a big purple heart with a pencil stuck through it. And it said Buffy the Vampire Slayer in like varsity letters, right? And on the back, um, it said Vampire Suck, Buffy Slays. That's awesome. And, I wish uh, you still had that. Yeah, I do too. You can actually find it on eBay, but I'm not going to go get it. It's fine. Oh, um, can you? I might need it. I, it sounds brilliant. <laughs> Yeah, I got I wore it to school and they got I got in trouble for wearing it because it said vampires suck. And I was like, yeah, they suck blood. Oh. <laughs> and they got in trouble. So I, had to like <laughs> turn my, I had to turn my shirt inside out and I couldn't wear it at school. And, you know, uh-huh. it was sad. Hi, my name's Amy McCall. I'm the author of Mean and the Undead, um, a Y murder mystery set in 1995 New Orleans. In this episode, Dusty and I will be talking about my book and there will be minor spoils ahead. So be warned. Dun, dun, dun. So you have a long to be read list and you don't know how to proceed. Just give yourself a break, my friend, because Dustin can read. Dustin can read. Welcome to Dustin Can Read, where we can officially start celebrating the spooky season with one of my favorite monsters of all time, the vampire. With me today is Amy McCaw, author of the fun vampire-inspired novel, Mina and the Undead. How are you today, Amy? I'm really well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to talk about all things vampires with you. Yes, I'm, I'm excited too. Mina and the Undead came out in April of this year, 2021, and I've been putting off reading it for the longest time since I knew I was going to love it the most nearer to Halloween, just to get me in, you know, getting ready for the spooky season. So I'm glad I have avoided spoilers, and I wanted to thank you again for sending me a copy since it's not currently published in the States, but for those of you listening in the United States, it is available via Amazon or the Book Depository website for all those Americans who need a little bit of Fang Fest in their lives. So just to oh, make sure you. you check it out. 
<laughs> it's it's yeah, great. The Amazon so, link isn't isn't great. So I'd recommend getting it from Book Depository if people are interested, because somehow on Amazon it's been linked to a Sudoku book. So if you try and buy it on Amazon, you may accidentally end up with a children's Sudoku book. So my my publisher's trying weird. to work it out. But yeah, Book Depository is definitely the best option. Exactly. No idea. <laughs> That's very strange. I wonder, um, is there any plans to to publish it in the States as of yet? Yeah, so what we did, we went on submission in the UK first, and it's on submission in the United States at the moment. Um, COVID's kind of slowed everything down in that regard. Um, So I'm hoping it will get a deal over there. Um, But for now, we're just happy that lots of people all over the world seem to be reading it. That's great, you know, and I can't wait for it to actually officially get published in, in the United States because, I mean, it, granted, it takes place here, so it should help <laughs> to some degree. Yeah, and it I seems pretty, so. you know, pretty accurate. So as far as the description of New Orleans and all that kind of stuff. So I really hope it does oh, get published. Hey, yeah, I really can't wait for it. So let's get into a brief synopsis of the story before we, you know, start talking about it a little bit more. It's 1995, and Mina arrives in New Orleans on, quote, holiday, as it were, we say vacation, (laughs) from England to visit her estranged sister, Libby, who attends university in NOLA, which is New Orleans, Louisiana. Libby works at the Mansion of the Macabre, a sort of haunted house with a folklore museum attached to it. Mina is um, starting to soak up the Big Easy, especially getting close to... Libby's sensitive yet hunky roommate Jared and befriending their other artistic roommate Lucas. She also meets her sister's girlfriend Della. She's all set to see the light and fun New Orleans and prepares for Fangfest, an event that has different businesses putting up on d- dramatic displays for vampire enthusiasts, basically, just throughout the city. Mina, longing to reconnect with Libby ever since she left town in England, feels a little lost. See, their mother left them a, a long, some time ago, not that long ago, without a trace. Then, shortly after, Libby up and left the country and came to the U.S., basically abandoning Mina in the hands of their aloof Aunt Sandra, who could really care less about either of them. So, getting a job at the mansion is a step in that direction to getting closer to her sister. Now, I want to say that the proprietor of the mansion, do you pronounce her as Tandy or Thandy? I call her Thandy, um, but yeah, I think you can pronounce it different ways. Um, yeah, in my head, she's Thandy. Okay, because I was kind of going off of Tandy Newton, the actress, so I was like, uh, I don't know how to say it, but either way. So the owner takes a chance on Mina and gives her an audition to act as a victim in the scary attraction. That same night, Mina finds a girl dead in the attic, her throat slit. The girl, Heather, was supposed to take over Mina's shift. From there, more and more attacks happen around the city and around Libby and Mina and all their friends. Could these attacks be linked to famous New Orleans folklore? Could it be caused by real live vampires? Or not live, but you know. In a game of cat and mouse, Mina's love for vampires is put to the test as her trip becomes a horror show of mystery. So... Obviously, you, like me, have a love of vampires and vampire folklore and pop culture. And the first thing I want to ask you is what what or who actually is your favorite vampire of all time? 
Oh, see, you can probably tell from the room behind me, people who can see the clips, but um, if there isn't video at this point, there is a lot of Spike merchandise in the room behind me. Um, and Spike has always been my favourite vampire, probably since about my mid-teens. I was a little bit confused because Angel was like 12 or 13-year-old me's dream. But then as I got a bit older, I realised that Spike goes through such a journey as a character. And I love the fact that he starts a two-dimensional villain and then spends the series being fleshed out. I just think that that is fascinating. And I, I tend to be drawn to those vampires. So the vampires like Lestat um, from Into the Vampire, Eric from True Blood, Damon um, from The Vampire Diaries. I usually like the ones who are quite morally ambiguous that walk that line between good and bad. I think that's where I really like my vampires. How about you? Do you have a favourite well, one? Oh, definitely. My favourite of all time is basically... Well, not my first vampire, but one of the first vampires I, I watched was Barnabas Collins from Dark Shadows. Okay. Yeah, that's I don't know choice. if you grew up with that. I know Dark Shadows gets mentioned in the book at one point, but I grew up in 1991. They came out with a Dark Shadows miniseries that was kind of a revival, and it was new cast and everything. But I watched it live when it came on, and I was like, oh, I love this. And then I found out it was based on an old soap opera, and I was like, oh, I got to watch this. And it was just so over the top and fun and, you know, passions try to, you know, redo that magic, but it wasn't, it was more, you know, spoof than anything. But um, I, I love Dark Shadows so much well before Johnny Depp ruined some of it with his movie, Ugh, whatever. But um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a big Dark Shadows fan. I, I just love it. Yeah, I probably need to watch it a little bit more, actually, because I've seen bits of it and I knew enough to reference it. But yeah, I think the Johnny Depp version kind of put me off. So maybe I need to go back and watch the original source material again. Yeah, the Johnny Depp movie was more of, like I said, a spoof. It was a comedic spoof on on the actual show. Now the show was silly and funny because it was they had to film. They had like a small amount of time to film it and they had to, you know, do stuff really fast. So errors happen. People forgot lines, stuff like that. So that kind of made it campy in a way un unintentionally. And then Tim Burton and Johnny Depp just decided we're going to make this full on campy. And we're going to do it in with intent. You know, no, don't do that. And it was, it's still a good nod to the original show, but it, I mean, I really want to see, I, I want to see them reboot it again and make it, you know, a, a lot, you know, more modern and just, you know, scary and, overdramatic and everything, you know, just like the Vampire Diaries, which I always call the modern day Dark Shadows. I think that's the Vampire Diaries is like that. If you listen to my Vampire Diaries episode with Aureline a few weeks back, that's what I kind of say in that as well, in so many words. Yeah, I anyway. think they did a really good job with the Vampire Diaries series, definitely updating it and making it feel modern, because I think I do like the books still, but they maybe haven't aged as well as some of the books that I still love from the 90s. Yes, I, yeah, I love it. And I love how you mentioned, you you know, you have a lot of pop culture references in this. So you actually mentioned L.J. Smith as one of the authors that Mina reads. And I was like, obviously, that's the Vampire Diaries. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> and um, I'll give you a sneak preview. The second book may mention it slightly more explicitly, too. Ooh, that's awesome. Great. Mm. I can't wait for that. So what was oh, your so first... Oh, so fun. you of the pop culture references. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um... Sorry, I think we're on a side delay. <laughs> oh, we are. We are. We totally are. And it just keeps happening. It's, it's totally fine. It happens every so often. It's just, you know, internet and an ocean between us. So <laughs> That's true. <laughs> 
So what was your first memory of, quote, falling in love with vampires? Like what was the first movie or book or something that made you really go, oh, I really love this? Do you think of? It was it was Interview with the Vampire, I think. And I must have read it when I was about 11, which seems really inappropriate now that I think about it. Um, but I just remember being really drawn to this idea of these immortals who go through life and see things in a different way. And they see such a broad, you know, they see such a breadth of history, don't they, living so long. So I imagine there were loads of things I didn't understand in the book. But I think that central concept of the vampire really grabbed me. And I remember reading that book so many times that it fell apart, that edition. And I've probably got about five different copies of it now. Um I still love it and I'm I'm reading it again at the moment and I feel like it's still, I obviously understand it better now, um, but I think even though it was written in the 70s, it's still such a good vision of the vampire. Yeah, definitely. I Yeah, I totally, I have never read that book, but I, I get your sentiments about it. I wasn't a big book reader <gasps> when I fell in love with vampires. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I uh I I ended up I got introduced via so movies. So was and it TV. dark? So was it Yeah, okay. Well, it wasn't Dark Shadows for one thing. It was actually um the first one I can remember going back was Once Bitten starring Jim Carrey. Okay, really? I haven't seen that. Is that a vampire film then? Oh yeah, it totally is. Okay, so <gasps> all right, let me give me give a little oh breakdown gosh. of what this plot is about for that movie. Um, it takes place, obviously it's the mid eighties and this was before Jim Carrey was big on in living color. Well, before he got Ace Ventura a long time, he was in his early twenties. So he's playing a teenager in this movie. And, um, he is basically a geek kind of, he has a girlfriend, but she's not putting out and he feels pressured to get it on with somebody via his friends. And so they decide they're going to, this takes place in like LA area. So they decide to go into Los Angeles, into Hollywood and go to like a singles bar and meet somebody. And some woman calls him over and she starts talking to him. And it's Lauren Hutton. She was a big supermodel, especially in the 80s and the 70s. And um, she's kind of known for this little gap in her teeth. And uh, she's, you know, got a really sultry voice and whatnot. And so she, you know, kind of, you know, she takes him home to her mansion. She has a chauffeur and he drives an ice cream truck and it has a big old ice cream <laughs> cone on the top. Um, it's really, really tacky. So she goes over there to him and she, he's really nervous and she just knows she loves it. She's eating it up, you know, cause he's a virgin and that's basically why she's going after him basically. And she ends up um, biting the inside of his thigh close to his private area. And, uh, and it goes further than that. And it's kind of a comedy. It's a horror comedy. And he just starts transitioning throughout it. And he's having these bad dreams. And, you know, there's the girlfriend who's like, you you almost hooked up with some woman, but something's happening to you. And so she starts investigating on her own. And and there's a lot of, there's some, there's some homophobic stuff in there. But, I mean, it's the 80s. That's what happened back then. I can't really, you know, can't change it now. But other than that, um, it's really fun. And, and there's a great, like, Halloween dance scene where there's like a standoff between the girlfriend and between Lauren Hutton, the vampire. And um, it's kind of a dance off actually. And it's great. It's so much fun. You need <laughs> to find that movie and rent it. Oh, I do. I'm thinking it might be a pop culture reference that I need to use as well. I thought I'd exhausted most of them, but I've never even heard of it. I'm really surprised. Yes. Once bitten. So yeah, yeah you would definitely that. love that Thank movie. You. I think. <laughs> so yeah, that, 
was pretty much, I think, my first memory of a vampire. And I was like, oh, I just love this. And, you know, obviously the vampire is the bad guy in this. But then I saw another movie that took place in the later 80s. And it was called My Best Friend's a Vampire. And I saw this on HBO. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Have you? Yeah, I think I have. But it must have been like the mid 90s when I watched it or something. So it's been a while. Well, the cool thing about this, I had known about vampires and Dracula by this point, you know, and, but the cool thing about this was that it was a different kind of vampire and introduced day vampires or basically living vampires, people who weren't exactly dead and hadn't died, but it slowed down their aging process and they still had some powers and they could walk in the sun and all this stuff. And I thought that was really cool, you know, um, there, you know, it was a fun, it was also another kind of horror comedy type thing. It was more comedy than anything and, and silly, but it's a fun little movie that I just love to watch kind of in the vein of Teen Witch or something like that. I love Teen Witch so much. Yeah. So if you've never seen, well, you probably have seen it, but if you know, you should check it out again. And that might be another reference you might want to go to, you know, it, it's a yeah. fun little movie, especially, you know, considering the outcome of this book, which... <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, I think um, I, I tend to veer towards I veer towards the side of the sort of silly vampire as well. I think, although I'd like to think they're a little bit scary. I like the you know being quite exaggerated about it. I think that's good fun. Oh yeah, definitely. And speaking of that, actually, it's, you know, what is your favorite um, vampire power besides immortality? What would be your favorite vampire power? That's a really good question. I don't like the kind of mind reading or mind control ones because I think that can be really insidious and kind of used for bad more than good. I think the super strength and speed, if I was going to be a vampire, that's what I'd really appreciate because I'm so clumsy and not athletic. I think that that would be a really nice change. (laughs) To not like fall down and scrape my knee every time I moved. Yeah. (laughs) exactly and like stand up and like bash myself on my desk knock all the books off it you know that would be quite refreshing to be able to catch those books mid-fall how about you is there a power that you would like to have i would definitely either you know in the classic version of vampires or whatever either flight or turning into a bat or some something you know transformative um i think that would be really cool to be able to just turn into an animal or at least even talk to animals because sometimes i can you know or communicate mm-hmm. with them and do to do their bidding almost like familiars but um that's what you know i, I love i just love i love both basically all things vampire the one thing i don't like obviously is killing people <laughs> i don't want to kill anybody you know the predator and prey yeah. aspect but slightly problematic yeah <laughs> But isn't that interesting? I think what I really like about vampires is, you know, they don't age and can live forever. I mean, who doesn't want to do that? But then there's this huge cost, isn't there? And I I think that that's the thing that's really interesting. Like, who would be willing to kill or to drink somebody else's blood so that they can live forever? And I think that's one of the things I love about them. It's that really morally grey area. Yeah, it's kind of like it's a, it's a testament to their own personal character or whether or not they're going to be a killer or if they're just going to like take a sip here and there, you know? Yeah, exactly. Or like go like whatever they call it in Twilight. Is it vegetarian vampire where they drink animal blood and stuff like that? I think that is the beauty of vampires, isn't it? That there's so many ways you can take the mythology and, you know, do they have to kill? Can they just drink a little bit of blood and the person be fine? Like, I think that's why authors can keep coming back to them because there's just so much variety and so much you can do with it. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, 
I mean, obviously, like you said, the mind control thing, compulsion, whatever, is kind of overdone at times, especially if you watch The Vampire Diaries, which we spoke about with Orlean. Yeah. Um, she, you know, she's like, basically, the whole plot of that could have been like compulsion. We just do compulsion, 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 you know, and just <laughs> you know, like, okay, we're overusing like this writers, a little bit, guys. Yeah. The writers can make any error, can't they? Because they can just erase it with compulsion. It's like, oh, yeah, we've made a real mistake there. Let's just erase like half a season with a few compulsions. And yeah, I think that can get a little annoying that there's no consequences there. And I think vampires do need to have a weakness to be interesting. And to me, it is a little bit too easy if they can just bite somebody and wipe their memory. I feel like it's just, you know, a bit too simple. <laughs> Yeah, it can be very, if you're using it with purpose, I think, you know, especially, I mean, for an ongoing television series, yeah, it kind of works. You got to be able to have some kind of leniency, I guess, in a way. But, you know, yeah. I think if you're in a book or a movie, you need to use it with purpose and, you know, have it as a plot device, not just as a, a side thing. Like, well, we can just fix this error, you know, error, excuse me. And um, yeah, I, 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 yeah I, I agree with you on that. The whole compulsion thing is a little overdone. So, um, another question I was going to ask, uh, into Mina a little bit more, um, I wanted to ask, so why did you pick 1995 as its setting? So I went to New Orleans in 2012 and I love the myths that people told me and the fact that myths seem to be more part of everyday life and that people didn't tell them as myth, they tell, told them as history of the city. So I came home thinking about that and when I started writing it in 2016 I didn't know when I was going to set it. I knew I wanted to make vampire references um, and I started doing some research and I realised that Interview of the Vampire the movie came out in America in 1994 and when I researched New Orleans at that time, 1994-1995 um, was um, like the deadliest period in history so um, more than one person was getting murdered every day and the crime was just awful and I thought well how interesting that vampires are at this real popularity people are coming to the city in droves because of the movie and lots of people are being murdered and I just thought how could I put those two things together so it came somehow came together beautifully the real story of New Orleans and then the kind of the fiction of Into the Vampire. That's awesome yeah and I you know and, and I also was thinking I was like you know what it actually helps as well because you know as far as books go I think it's harder for people to be, I want to say, disconnected from others in like suspenseful situations and stuff, especially when they have cell phones or mobile phones like they do now. And back then, you know, barely anyone had any, you know, barely, yeah. it was maybe a car phone here and there or one of those huge brick phones, but who's going to carry that around, you know? So that actually helps in that sense as well, you know, kind of the isolation yeah. aspect of it all. It does. It would be too easy, wouldn't it, for Libby and Mina to FaceTime when Libby's away or um, when Mina starts to think that things related to myths are happening. If you went on Google and typed in a few keywords, she would have worked out like the whole mystery straight away. <laughs> Found pictures of, you know, the, the culprits most likely and, you know, and, and yeah, it's exactly. been over. Like, it had been 30 pages long. Yeah. You're like, well, this is a novella that I wrote or a short story. Um, <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I like that you said it back then. And it also gives, you know, that bit of nostalgia that a lot of people in our generation are looking for, you know, um, just everybody's wanting to do the 90s nowadays, you know. Um, what was the um, one thing I wanted to ask? Was this always the original name of the book? 
It wasn't. So the original title was Empire of the Dead, which is the name of a bar that the teens go to in the book. And my agent said it sounded a bit too much like an adult fantasy book. And I was like, yeah, actually, I agree with that. And then Jay Kristoff has a book that just came out called Empire of the Vampires. So I'm so pleased that I didn't call it Empire of the Dead because that would have been really confusing. It would have looked like I'd copied him probably. Or that you were adding into, uh, oh, here's my fan fiction into his universe. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So that would have been awful. So I'm really glad because I, I got the Empire of the Dead thing from um, the Paris Catacombs, which I visited some time ago. And um, as you walk into the catacombs, it says above the door, um, stop, you're entering the city of the dead. And I just love the fact that there's so many connotations of the word dead with vampires. So that's what gave me the idea of the Empire of the Dead bar. And people who read the book will find out that there's a bit of a, a motif to the bar that has um, sort of creepy aspects like the catacombs. And that was great that you tied that into New Orleans because New Orleans is very much French. So <laughs> there's a lot of French influence yeah, in there. Exactly. So that, that's perfect. Yeah. So that's awesome. Um, so were any characters named after any friends or, or family loved ones that, you know, or is anybody inspired by them? No. Um, so the names weren't. Um, names are a really funny thing to me that they tend to just pop into my head and then I'm kind of stuck with them for that character. So unless... I realised that it just doesn't work for some reason, like I've accidentally copied, you know, the main character from Vampire Diaries or something. Um, Mina, I knew was going to be called Mina straight away because of Dracula. And with Libby, it took me just a few minutes of, well, what female from vampire history could she be named after? And so she has a little nod to vampires in her name too. And then the rest of the names just came to me really quickly, but it tends to be the look of the characters in my head often um, like have actors that remind me of them. Um, so I did mention in the book that Lucas, one of the characters, is like a young Leonardo DiCaprio um, in my head. And then um, Jared is kind of a young um, Jason Momoa as well. Um, I don't know if you can um, see Dustin. Um, there are a few Jason Momoa figures in my room behind me. He is one of my favourites. Um, so yeah, there may have been a little bit of a Jason Momoa influence on um, Jared, I think, as well. Okay, I can kind of see that now, and especially since I've seen your profile picture, <laughs> you and Jason Momoa. Yeah. yeah, you're a total fangirl. Yeah. There are, I really am. There's pictures of me all over social media with him, and um, quite a lot of people are like, "Who's that guy with long hair? Is that your husband? Is that Jesus?" That's what people tend to say. I'm like, "Yes, I have a picture of you know of my husband and Jesus on my profile." Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's who it is. It's, it's really Jesus. Strange. I met Jesus. Did you know that? I know. <laughs> The amount of people that have asked me that question, I'm sure they're joking, but still, it's. Um, I think before he was as famous as he is now, people didn't tend to know who he was, because I liked him from the kind of um, Stargate Atlantis days. Um, so yeah, and obviously now he's this great big star as Aquaman. Well, that you know, it would be kind of cool if he, if you know, we'll get into this part too now. Um, okay. I kind of, I always like to like when I read a book. I go more based off the character's personality as far as who I'm envisioning in my head. I always tend to okay. pull somebody from pop culture and pop them into my head as far as who represents who in the book. And I usually, it doesn't yeah. always necessarily match the physical description of the book. I might go by the personality of basically roles I've seen them play before. Would you want Jason Momoa to play a part in this? If you could. Do you know, if, if I could cast him as the young, like the young him as Jared that would be the dream but obviously impossible so maybe I need to write in a character that he could play just in case it's ever made into a film 
Um, but yeah, I don't think off the top of my head there is a character that he would fit. But there are, to be honest, I tend to think of actors in my head as I'm writing. So there are a couple of characters that do look a little bit like celebrities to me too. Oh, okay. Well, let's get into some of that because, I like, like I said, I like the cast characters. Um, and without giving out too many spoilers, okay. I'm not going to give anybody's, you know. So did you do that? Um, yeah, that was fine. Yeah, yeah, I totally did. I was walking, as I was reading, it's like, okay, this person could be this person. And I mean, I would tell you, I have like several people written down for Jared, the hunky guy that I said earlier. Oh, I'd love to know. So who did you think was Jared? So I'm thinking more about current, it's hard to do it because I don't watch as many young adult movies and, you know, shows as much as I did. I still watch them, but I don't watch nearly as many as that are out there. But um, so there's a few people and you can tell me, yeah, yeah, yeah what you think but i was like okay well maybe jared could be noah centineo from to all the boys i love before actually yes yes if anybody is listening to then i would be happy with that casting choice yeah because he has that kind of lovable quality i think he could do that really well actually that um that kind of jovial friendly with everyone um yeah okay i like that one have you got any more? But he could also kind of pull off that, is he as good as he seems? That kind of thing, yes, you know? Ex- exactly. Yeah, I, um, I think he'd Another be one is... And... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, sorry. I was just going to say, I, I think that he could do the two, the sort of the angsty side of Jared and, you know, what do you suspect him of anything versus the happy on the surface guy? It's, yeah, I think he'd be perfect. Awesome. Another person I thought of was Ted Sutherland who played young Nick Good in Fear Street Part 2. Oh, okay. Kind of. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He has that kind of endearing... I don't like, mind huh, that. I don't... I kind of... Yeah. Yeah, that is good. I think people like that who are a bit ambiguous are great for this kind of book because I wanted you to read it and question everybody and question whether you could trust them or not. So I think anybody who could convey that in their persona would be really good. Yeah, I think Noah Centineo, because I've seen him in so many things, I can kind of see the different facets of Jara's character. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's a good choice too. I wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that either. Another, I have one, I have, I'll, I'll, I'm not, I'm going to skip one of them because I don't really know him that well. So I just kind of looked at a picture and was like, eh, maybe. But um, okay. <laughs> there's another character. Um, <laughs> so I have been watching the newer Saved by the Bell. And I know you probably haven't seen it, but there's a guy who plays uh, this dumb jock character and he's actually Jesse Spano's son, Jamie Spano. And his name is okay, Belmont Camelli. Right. Wow. And I don't know. Belmont Camelli just sounds like a name that would be in New Orleans to me. I don't know why. But um, <laughs> he seems like yeah. he could be that character too. Like, he he's kind of, of like a model. Yeah, he's got this like light brown curly hair. I'm sorry. Keep going. <laughs> yeah, that would work. No, sorry. I, I think we're just interrupting each other all the time because of the delay. Yeah, I don't know who that is. I'm really sad, actually, that I can't watch the new Save by the Bell. I, I don't know whether we have access to it at all over here, but um, is it any good? Are you enjoying it? Oh, I love it. I love it so much. Um, Shelly said it, it was there for a minute, she thought, and then it went away. So I don't know. I'm sure it'll come back. It's going to have another season or quote oh, series, okay. like you guys say. But um, it's so I'm sure it should show up at some point, um, <laughs> you know. Yeah, because it's on the same streaming service as the new, as the uh, One of Us is Lying series that's coming out. And I definitely know you guys are getting that. You have to because it's so okay. popular over yeah. there. But anyway. Yeah, I think we will be. I've just seen the first advert for it, actually. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I've, I've only just heard of that one because I've been drafting Mina 2 sort of secretly before I could talk about it. 
Um, I haven't, I've kept, got really behind in reading and watching stuff. I managed to watch Fear Street, but that's about as modern as I've got recently. <laughs> it's okay. Hey, I'm behind on a lot of things too. So I had some ideas for some other characters as well. Um, especially okay. the detectives. I had ideas for the detectives. I don't know why, but I see them as being serious, but yet kind of funny. I don't know why. I, you know, especially, I don't, I yeah. see this kind of. I don't, there really isn't a lot of comic relief with them, but I could see somebody doing it, you know, just a little bit. Yeah. Um, and like Detective uh, Boudreaux, I don't know who, if you know this mm -hmm. actress is, she's a comedian too. Um, her name is Yvette Nicole Brown. She's been in a lot of stuff. Oh, that name. Yeah. That name is familiar actually. Yeah. She is a, uh, she's got this kind of, um, this kind of, she's a comedian obviously, but she's got this really serious look to her and, she she can really convey like you know authority but at the same time like there's all these times where mina says she was very comforting and very nice you know and so i was like okay i can see that she's very maternal in a way and but i can i can see some i don't know some kind of comedy in there just a little bit because of everything you know, you're gonna have to let a little relief you know uh shake things up but especially if you cast her with uh the guy i have for detective cafferty and that's rob delaney do you know who rob delaney is I don't. I'm really bad at this. So what's Rob Delaney from? <laughs> so the main things I know that Robert Delaney are from, um, well, the last thing I saw, he was in Deadpool 2. And did you okay, see Deadpool 2? Okay, I have 2? seen that. Yeah, okay, I did. He was the I'm guy that, that came in, be. he didn't have any powers, then he had a mustache. Okay, and yeah. He, he was just kind of that yeah, guy who was there. Yeah, I that is. Yeah, and I just kind of saw him. I was like, he's he's a comedian too. He's a comedic actor, um, and he also voices. Uh, if you ever get to watch this on Netflix, he is the the narrator for Sexy Beasts, which is a dating show on Netflix. Okay, so definitely check that out. It's I haven't silly. seen it's that. Yeah, I have to check. I'm going to check who all these people are. You know, just in case I ever get anything, <laughs> if it's ever made into a film, I'd like to know what my options are. <laughs> um, Shelley will be happy with my. <laughs> pick for one of these people i kind of a pick i put a little question mark behind it but armand okay the psychic um i saw adam divine yeah. in a more serious role okay that's interesting okay somebody you yeah, wouldn't maybe, think of yeah You're like, oh I, maybe yeah it's interesting because I, some of the yeah some of the characters i've got a really clear idea of what they look like and because he is quite a kind of mysterious character that just pops up and like melts away, like he in my head is a bit more mysterious as well. So yeah, I think you could kind of impose any any physical features on him and I would be okay with it. But yeah, I think he could do the the kind of creepy, mysterious thing as well. Yeah, that'd be good. I kind of see Armand as being, because he's kind of, you know, he's putting on this fake accent. You know, obviously his name's not really Armand. You know, she's yes. like, that's not his name. No. And <laughs> so, you know, and he's, I can kind of see him being kind of bumbling a little bit as well. Um, just a little bit, you know, just because it, it, you're not supposed to kind of take him seriously when you first meet him, you know, she doesn't at least. No. And so I can kind of see that. And then maybe as it goes on, you're like, okay, well, maybe he is a little more serious than we thought, you know, and I can, I can see that happening with, with Adam Devine. But yeah, uh, another character I thought of for Della would be Beanie Feldstein. I don't know why she pops in my head. I don't know why I see, you know, Della as being a busty girl and I could see Beanie Feldstein being that and being kind of kick ass at the same time, but also being really nice and tender. Um, 
I don't know. Do you know who Beanie Feldstein is? I don't. I'm really bad at this game. Like, I'm going to have to look up all these references after we finish speaking. Yeah, in well, my she head, is Jonah is a Hill's bit like, sister. Is it Tessa Thompson who is... Um... Okay. In real life, she's Jonah Hill's sister. Yeah, in real life, that's Jonah Hill's sister. Or does she play his sister in something? No, and yeah, she definitely... Um, she's She was in the movie Booksmart. Oh, okay. Um... And she's also she's also been in a vampire TV show, What We Do in the Shadows, the first season. Okay, yeah, I think I probably would recognize her then. Um, see, in my head, she was a little bit like Tessa Thompson, obviously slightly younger than that. Um, and I think that she could play that kind of strong and assertive, but has a gentler kind of understanding side. Um, yeah, I kind of saw her doing a good job of that. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, I can see that too, actually. Um and the other the characters I can't really I can't really cast in my head is Mina and Libby because they're you know they're similar looking. I, I want to pick characters that look kind of similar, and I was trying to go based off the description in the books with the dark hair and and you know because I kind of saw Mina in my head. Mina has bangs and you know dark hair, and and Libby has like a, a hair, in my head she has a haircut like Alice from uh, Twilight. Kind of a kind of a pixie flippy oh, okay. but short, you know, and yeah. Um, I just that's what I saw in my head. I mean, it doesn't have to be that way, but so I don't know. Mina kind of looks to me like Emily the Strange. I don't know if you know who that is. That's like a, a character. <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. Okay, um, that's who I kind of yeah. saw as Mina, but not so hard looking. You know, um, a little more you know light. But I do have somebody for Thandy. Um, actually, two people. Um that could be Thandy. Um, the first one I wrote down as I was reading, it, I was like, Ooh, Juliet Landau who played Drusilla. Oh yeah. She, yeah, she actually would be really cool. Um, it, but you know, I know she's older now and she might not be great for the role, you know, especially back in the nineties, especially her, but if not her, another person from Buffy who can pull off this kind of, to me, Thandy's like removed and she's kind of bitchy in a way, you know, when we first meet her, especially, um, and yeah. I can see this because Michelle Trachtenberg has played that part as well. Okay. And I could kind of see her, I don't know if you've seen her in Gossip Girl. She's, she's a crazy ass in Gossip Girl, but, um, <laughs> but I can yeah, see her uh-huh. playing this part yeah. as well because she's in her early thirties now. So I can see her being this, you know, older figure, but not too old, you know, and, and, uh, I could see her playing that part. I don't know. It's just my idea. Who did you, do you have anybody in mind yeah, for her? It's interesting. Not really. So for Mina, Libby and Thandy, I didn't really, I stole Thandy Newton's name, I'll be honest. It just came into my head and I loved it. Or Tandy Newton, I think it's pronounced. Um, Yeah, I think for those three, because they were just, they were so real as characters to me, there wasn't a person straight off. I can can sort of see what they look like, but they don't look like anybody that I know. Um, Yeah, I see Thandy as being a little bit older, actually, than Michelle Trachtenberg. Um, But that's the beauty of reading a book, you know, I don't mind if you imagine somebody, I, I don't tend to over describe characters, I don't think. So you can impose what you want onto them. And if, you know, however you want to imagine them, I'm, I'm, it's interesting to hear, actually. I like it. Awesome. Yeah. Cause I like, you know, I think sometimes when you're reading a book and you, you know, and you might have an idea in your head and then they make a movie or TV show about it and then somebody gets cast in the part and they are perfect for it and they may not look how you thought they were going to look. Or move exactly, but they somehow just embody the character. And I think that really matters the most, actually, to get that essence across, you know? 
Yeah, I think um, a lot of people have responded to the interview with Vampire Casting, um, the new TV show that they're making. And I feel like I can't respond until I've seen them in the characters because I think you could you could look great as Lestat and if you can't embody all of those characteristics that we know as being him, um, I think that's more important than actually the physical characteristics. Um, so, yeah, I think an actor has to be able to play the part, you know, however perfect they look, it doesn't matter really. Yeah, you know, and Anne Rice, I remember when they did the movie interview with the vampire, she did not want Tom Cruise to play Lestat. She's like, no, he cannot play that part. And then she saw him play it, and she was like, you know what? He's actually really good. It's my favorite Tom Cruise performance by far. I think it's just so nuanced and interesting. And rereading the book now, and I've watched the film quite recently, I think he does a really good job. And it's not the kind of character he normally plays. I'd like to see him do that more, kind of um, a really exuberant character that has a lot going on beneath the surface. I think he's great. Oh, definitely. Definitely. There were some questions I had, by the way. I had some questions about the book. Um, well, first, I want to talk about the pop culture references. Some of them I was like, yeah. oh, my God, you, like Dark Shadows and L.J. Smith, you know, the Vampire Chronicles, all that, and Buffy, the movie. Um, which was funny, by the way. Well, all this craziness, death is happening around them. They're like, let's take a moment to watch a movie. Let's put on Buffy. And I just thought yeah, that was hilarious. Yeah, I kind of, to be honest, I thought if I was in that stressful situation and I couldn't cope and it was just, I think that I would need a moment to decompress and I think readers need a moment to decompress as well. Um, and yeah, that was just how I decided to do it because they're so into movies like I am. Um, it kind of seems like the perfect escapism. Um, in the second book, I have a similar kind of, um, obviously the things that happened to them in the summer. So all the stuff that Mina really likes watching and reading about serial killers suddenly has a different meaning to her so it's definitely been interesting thinking of the pop culture references for the second book um based on the experiences Mina's had well I, yeah I I agree with that you know I agree you need to decompress and have a distraction for a moment to maybe help clear your head and get all the emotion out of it you know so yeah I totally get that and plus if you're watching a vampire slayer and you're in a vampire story you want to watch somebody who's going to beat up the bad guys you know yeah so, exactly you know, that's perfect yeah the one one of the references I was actually surprised at that I did not expect to see because not a lot of people reference this is pump up the volume. When you mentioned <gasps> yes, Jared's posters, yes, it's one posters. of my favorites. Yeah, I love pump up the volume so much. In fact, Christian Slater of that era is one of my favorite actors. Um, I just think pump up the volume, Heather's True Romance are cuffs. Have you seen cuffs? Yes, it's been a long time, but yeah. <laughs> I thought you might have done. Um, Cuff, so in Cuffs, he talks directly to the camera, um, which could be a really uncomfortable, strange device. And actually, Christian Slater does it brilliantly. Um, we even went to see him in London. He did um, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. He played Jack Nicholson's character. Um, we, went, we went to see it, me and my husband, three times just because we loved him so much um, from the original films. But then in that, he was amazing. Absolutely amazing. And you know what? I, I don't know why it just popped in my head that he was actually in Interview with the Vampire. Yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know why. Just he wasn't meant to play the part. He was the interviewer. Yeah, did you know that he was... It was um, River Phoenix was originally cast in that part um, and he tragically died. So they ended up um, casting Christian Slater and he donated his income from that film um, to charities um, related to drug abuse because um, that's sort of how River Phoenix died. Right. Yeah, I yeah I do remember that. And what I was going to ask you actually, and this just popped in my head, um, interview with the vampire. So are you? 
are see to me it was always interview with a vampire but somehow the mandela effect happened and now it's interview with the vampire and i don't know i always said interview with a vampire because the vampire implies it's the only vampire but then i was like well the interviewer's meeting the only vampire he's met so maybe you know um <laughs> so i kind of bounced Honestly. back and forth and i was like the amount of times I have to check that as I'm writing, I think I must have called it the wrong thing. Even as you're saying it now, I'm starting to question myself. Like, it is the vampire, isn't it? I'm going to have to look on yeah, the shelf. Yeah, because sure I always thought, I, I was like, it's a vampire because there are other vampires out there. It's got to be a vampire. Yeah. But then I was like, no, no. I guess it does make sense that the interviewer would say with the vampire because it's the only vampire he's met. So, so I just, you know, it makes sense, I guess. I don't know. It just... Yeah, the Mandela effect gets you every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so further on, um, there's a couple things I want to ask about. One was that Jared wears black vest and shorts to bed. <laughs> yeah, see, this is where I think the American, like the American UK kind of vocabulary, like my, my American friend read it and she wanted me to call that a wife beater. And I was like, that sounds really bad to UK audiences. You can't call a top a wife beater. Um, so like we, like a vest top would be like the kind of chunky strap and like round neck. And he just wears like, you know, like pajamas that are shorts. So I think sometimes I was trying to word things in a way that wouldn't sound like horrible to either audience. So I ended up <laughs> using like some words that just don't like, don't translate cool. on each side. Well, it's fine because the well, the narrator is English, so it makes sense, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was another I, I thing. I struggle with that a little bit. Yeah, there's things like um, Mina says, like I think she talks about rubbish or something, and I was like, Amer American readers going to know, like, I know that you know what rubbish means, but it probably sounds really strange to you to talk about putting rubbish in the bin. It's like garbage in the trash can, isn't it? So. Yeah, and I, yeah, I totally get it. Like I was saying, like um, since it is, a, you know, a British narrator it's, it totally makes sense to use those words or whatever you know and i guess when i heard vest i think a vest is something that fastens in the front you know like you would put under you know a, a, a sports coat or a nice jacket you know but or you could have said tank top tank top would actually have been not a wife beater that way because that sounds horrible but <laughs> like you said yeah we called tank tops when i was growing up those little cropped tops that are just like slightly longer than a bra so I didn't like the idea of Jared wearing a cropped top to bed. I mean, maybe he would, but in my head, Jared doesn't dress like that. Um, so yeah, I think the, the the vocabulary was certainly challenging. I'm glad it gave you a little and laugh another, anyway. It did. And, you know, a few times when she's quoting what these American friends of her are saying, and the one thing that threw me off, and it's not a criticism, it's just kind of like, wait, what okay. did they say? What? is when she, they would say, this is my favorite or this color, and they would have the O-U-R in there instead of just O-R, like yeah, we would spell see, it. That's, yeah, see, that's a style thing. So in the, I don't think it's too much of a spoil to say that some characters write, um, there are diary entries from some American characters. So we went for American spellings and sort of vocabulary in that. In the actual book, because it's an English book, like in the dialogue, um, we went for English spellings. Um, and, and I think that's just a style thing. Like if you read a book, I don't know, it's because it's difficult, isn't it? Because it's set in America. I think books written by English people tend to have English spellings wherever they're set, um, as mm -hmm. far as I know. Um, but yeah, it's interesting that you said that because 
in speech I had to think really carefully because obviously things like mum and mom are a completely different word whereas so I tried to go for the American word if I could um, but yeah in terms of spelling it was English spellings all the way apart from anything written so well like I said again it is a British narrator so it would make sense that you know if yeah. she's saying it or saying quoting somebody she would spell it her way and it would make total sense um, yeah so I was just wondering I was like huh, yeah I it, wonder it, would again, it come it, off it's interesting because I suppose it comes down to what actually is the book like is the whole book Mina talking to you the reader or is the whole book kind of a distant narrator telling you what Mina said um so yeah I don't know we just basically we went for a style decision and we stuck to it um but yeah different people might choose totally differently and I think that's the beauty isn't it of you as the author make a decision but then the whole publication process kind of gets involved and your editors have their say and um, yeah, we did think oh, yeah. about it, and that was kind of what we went for. Yeah, like I said, it makes sense. I mean, like I said, it was also was not a criticism. It was just kind of an interesting. Hmm, no. I wonder, you know. It's in... <laughs> no, and it's something that's something nobody has ever asked me about before. So thank you for asking me a different question. Oh, well, awesome! Great. <laughs> um, so you obviously put a lot of folklore, especially local legends. You know, you had Adam Lalaurie, which has been used, you know, quite a few things. The Axe Man of New Orleans, which are things that we've heard of, mm -hmm. especially if you've watched stuff like, you know, American Horror Story Coven, which was set in New Orleans and you had that stuff or the originals. Yeah. Some of that stuff showed up in the originals as well. Um, yeah. Uh, where I never heard of the Carter brothers. So was this made up for your story or was this something you just kind of took from and. No, it wasn't made up. So the Carter brothers allegedly existed um, in New Orleans. And this is one of those stories that people tell you um, as if it happened. And they say, you know, my aunt saw them on a balcony um, or she thinks she saw them. Um, and because they were born in, they would have been born around the 1900s. Like there was a period in like the 70s, 80s, 90s, where people could have been alive and actually seen them, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah, it is a New Orleans myth, but I I kept the central myth the same and then I slightly adapted it to fit the construct of the story. And I'm, I'm trying to word it really carefully so I don't spoil myself. Oh yeah, no, it's totally fine because you know, they're following, <laughs> in the story, they're following all these leads like, okay, yes. well, this looks like this situation or this one mm -hmm. looks like this that happened in the past so yes. and then they come across the grave the graveyard and the, and the mausoleum basically for the carter brothers and they tell the story about the carter brothers and and i was like well that sounds cool i wonder if this is real i didn't look it up obviously because i said i just finished the book yeah but <laughs> so i just <laughs> wanted fine. to know for sure yeah, i was so like oh, i wonder as far as i know there isn't a tomb to the cast of the carter brothers um but that is part of the story that they were that they weren't in their tomb when they went um so they'd been executed and um when they went to open the tomb um, a year and a day later to put more family members in there you know like they do in new orleans um they found that there were no bodies in there so to some people proving that vampires existed and somebody told me that story um on a tour that we did of new orleans and then when i went to that cemetery i saw some tombs that had little bits broken off them and looked like you know somebody had tried to get in there and that's what got my brain thinking. Like, I wonder, like, if somebody tried to open that tomb, like, why would they have done that? Ah, that's good. And you, so you went on one of those haunted New Orleans tours? Yeah, I did. I went on a couple, actually. I tend to do this. Any city that I go to that is steeped in history. Um, so I did it in Edinburgh in the UK and in York. Um, in London, we've been on a couple of things. I'm just really interested in 
the paranormal and history and how the two kind of blend together in our stories. Like in York, um, quite near where I live, there's some fantastic ghost stories. And they're often about people that really existed, but then they become something more kind of fictional, in my opinion. Um, I'm really interested in that as an author, like where fact and fiction, um, like where is the line between the two when it comes to the paranormal? Yeah, what comes, what goes from being actual history, what becomes a legend, what is actually made up, you know, and I, I love that too. I think that's, I, I, when I went on, I went to New Orleans my first time after I graduated high school in 1999, my dad and I went and we went on these haunted tours and I actually have, uh, I videotaped a lot of it. Um, oh, really? And it wasn't the dramatic tour, you know, it was actually like a local woman and it wasn't one of somebody wearing the top hat and the big fangs, you know, you know what I'm talking about. The, the really over, over dramatic and really, you know, yeah. theatrical. Um, but she like, there's some great stories. I learned about Madame LaLaurie and about um, the voodoo priestess. Oh my gosh. What? I just forget her name. Marie Laveau. What is her? Yes. Thank you. Marie Laveau. Thank you. Um, and you, you learned about her and everything. And there was one that really stuck with me. And it, I don't know the name of the the hotel, you know, and as people who, if you've never been to New Orleans, like all the buildings are right up on the street and you basically enter buildings through like an alleyway through the back in a way through their garden or mm -hmm. yard or yeah. wherever you want to call it. Um, and so there, a lot of these places have been converted into hotels, especially near the Bourbon Street area. Um, and there's one, I think that was called the St. Pierre. It might be wrong. I, pro I might be wrong in the name and how this used to be a guy's house and he went away to fight in the civil war and they got word his wife got word that he had died and she was you know she went into a full grieving mode and then she ended up marrying his brother and it turns out he wasn't dead he was just in a, <gasps> a prisoner of war camp and so he walked all the way down the mississippi river all the way back to new orleans and he showed up and he had a lantern and he walked up into the house. It was the middle of the night and he walks into his bedroom and he sees his, he like hovers over the bed and he sees his wife in bed with his brother. And he's just, she wakes up thinking she's seeing a ghost and she's freaking out and he's all sad. And he runs to the Mississippi river and shoots himself, you know? And then I think the brother dies in some kind of boating accident and then she dies. You know? And it was really sad. And then apparently people, whoever stays in that bedroom will sometimes wake up with a man hovering over them with a lantern in his hand. And, you know, and I'm like, Ooh, that's creepy as hell. <laughs> so I, I, you know, that, that kind that of stuff. You, I think, yeah, I think that's great that anybody who goes on a ghost tour, that it feels like there's something that taps in feet like to you personally and gives you that kind of creepy feeling. And for me, it was that Carter brothers story that I was told. I, I loved all the others that I heard. But I was still thinking about that one years later, and that's why it became one of the um, myths that I refer to in the book. Um, and yeah, I think that that's another great thing about the paranormal. I do remember that story, but it obviously wasn't one that I latched onto, so it wasn't something that I included. And it obviously doesn't have the vampire angle that the other ones I referred to. A lot of them do. Right. It's more of a ghost story than anything, but, you know, it's... it's yeah. I, I loved it so much and I'm into ghost stories as well because I've been haunted a few times yeah. so I know all about it so <laughs> uh, you know so that's another thing with me I'm really open to the paranormal so I'm guessing that's why I've been haunted um, <laughs> have you ever been haunted? 
No, as far as I know, but I'm I'm quite open minded to it. And we did stay in a hotel in um so I'm really into the American West and the gold rush and we stayed in this hotel that was a hospital during that time. And they'd done it mm. out so it looked really kind of lavish inside and it almost was like being in a really upmarket brothel. That was what we said when we walked in the door. We were like, Ooh, this decor. Um well, we stayed in it and I was getting ready in the room and I heard a really loud knock on the door and my husband had gone down and it was one of those, um, you know, there's motels where there's different levels and then you see the car park, the parking lot beneath. And I sort of threw, flung yes. the door open after this like, you know, obnoxious knocking on my door and there's nobody there. And I looked down and there's nobody on either side. And my husband, who I thought it was, was just down there in the car park. And and I just got that feeling. It was such a small thing, somebody knocking on a door, but it just made me think that there was somebody there and there wasn't somebody there. Oh, that's happened to me too. Knocking on the door thing happened to me in college, but we'll get into that yeah. another time. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, I know. I yes, think, can we do yeah. like a whole separate podcast on the paranormal, please? <laughs> <laughs> I actually am on a podcast telling my um, supernatural experience. Oh, really? So if you ever want to look it up, it's called You Can See Me in the Dark. Oh, cool. And it's from their second season, first episode. The episode is called The Portal. So if you look that up, I'm the entire oh, episode. That, yeah. It's my whole experience. So look it up. You can see me in the dark. Oh, cool. Yeah, well, thank you. So I don't know if you are aware, but I'm going to be, I'm trying to map out my own book right now. It's either going to be YA or NA or Yay. something. Um, and it's, it's going to have vampire influence in there too. And um, Excellent. what I was going to ask you is how long you said you started working on this in 2016. Like how long did it take you to like map it out and then actually write it? Okay. So I had the idea in 2012 and I didn't really know what to do with it. I was writing stuff at the time that was a lot simpler I knew this was going to be a story that would go on different timelines and I just wasn't ready to write it. So I kind of shelved it in my mind for a few years. In 2016, I realised that it was a teenage girl story coming from the UK to the US and that just got everything going. So after that point, I would say I did a bit of plotting. I plotted out the first few chapters and then I just got this incredible urge to start writing. So I did. I started writing and carried on plotting and I think it took me probably a year to write it, um, a year to edit it. And then um, in 2018, I got on a mentoring program called Write Mentor. And the ending was still really kind of wishy-washy and woolly. Um, and so they helped me to, my mentor, Marissa Noel, helped me to edit it. Over the summer, I properly finished it. And then I got my agent that September. So I would say really it was two years for the full getting it to a decent edited state but then my agent helped me to edit it again in a lot of detail so when we went on submission it was in pretty good shape um by that time so in in short a long time um but for the sequel <laughs> i um so in april i know um in in the sequel um my my publisher said um yes we'd like to buy the book but how fast can you write it and i was like hmm how fast do you want me to write it and we settled on having three or four months to write it. So I did that. And because I had the time pressure, I actually, I managed to get the work done. And it's interesting because when you're not under any pressure, you can let things rest for a few days or even a few weeks or months, you know, you can put a story aside and come back to it. But when you're writing to a deadline, you have to push through. And 
I found myself, I wrote myself into some corners that I had to then get out of. There were some scenes that I thought, nope, not going to write this yet. And I just left it and then came back to it. And yeah, I think both things can work. You can either really push yourself through and get a shaky first draft, or you can do what I did the first time and edit as I went along and ended up with quite a polished book the first time round. So do you have a preferred way of writing? Do you tend to be long-winded about it or really short and quick? Yeah, I I, see, that's the thing with this, I really want to get it right. And so I'm like, oh, I really want to do this right. And everything I start writing out or or mapping out, like this doesn't feel right. This does not feel like the direction I want to go. So I'm like, but I know where I want to go. I I know the feeling I want to have, you know, or I want the book to have or whatever. And, but I'm also like you to where if I have any kind of stress on me, like a time crunch, then I'm like, boom, for some reason, I work things out really fast. Like, I don't know what it is. I'm like, I, I can just map it out and go, all right, I got to get this done. So, you know, start typing it out. And so I'm good in that sense. But for that, I don't want to pressure myself to go too fast. And I'm sure that if I did a sequel or another book afterwards, that the pressure would be kind of off because I've already kind of ripped the bandaid off in a way and, you know, exposed the wound. And so it would be a lot easier, I think. Yeah. I think it's always, I think everybody's first book for the most part is the one that they're really like, I really want to get this right. I want to get this right. And they don't whip it out so fast. But then after that, it's like, it makes it a lot easier to, to get that out there, especially probably because yeah. you have the time. In, in some way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think for me, I found the first book a little bit less pressure because I didn't know if anybody was going to read it. You know, if I'd not got an agent, that might have been it. But I got an agent and then I got a publisher. But I think um, a lot of my debut authors would tell you that like, they're in my group, that the second book is difficult because you know you're writing for an audience. So suddenly you've got people telling you in the first book, I liked that, but I hated that. And the next person will tell you, well, I hated the opposite thing and I liked the opposite thing. So if you read too many reviews and you hear so much feedback, those voices creep into your head as you're writing. So you're thinking, well, some people really liked the horror. Some people really hated it. So what do I do with that? Um, so you just have to still kind of carve out the path you want to make through it. Um, so because I had a short deadline, I think that helped me to put that voice aside because I just thought I've got to get this done. If I want this sequel to come out next year, I need to write it. Um, so yeah, I'm sure different people feel differently but that a lot of my peers seem to think that the second book was harder than the first one yeah I totally understand that yeah and especially if you're going to be writing a sequel and you know that the the book has become popular so obviously it became popular because of what you wrote so just go with what you're writing you know just go with your instinct instead of listening to every because not everybody's going to like every little thing every little detail you just got to keep remembering that you know okay all right you're doing good you don't have to worry about what this person says but only maybe those close to you who you may have turned to for the first book you know like for their input you know because i really respect your opinion or whatever and that would probably be the place I would go to. But yeah, I totally understand that because it's hard. <laughs> it's hard writing, you know, sometimes, and you, you know, especially when you self doubt, you know? Yeah. And I think people think the book is you and you've got to, I mean, with my book, it's a little bit different because clearly I'm not a serial killer. Um, luckily. <laughs> um, so maybe I can distance myself a little bit from it, but I think a lot of authors have taken criticism because of stuff that their characters have done. And it's like that person is a character, like they aren't the author. Um, so I think you see so many people getting like jumped on on social media. So that is in the back of your mind as well, that you don't want to do anything that's going to really offend anybody or 
that's going to cause any kind of controversy that you just didn't mean to do. So there's a lot of things. I think being active on social media has made me realise there's a lot of ways that authors can misstep. Um, so all that's going on, you're trying to be creative and let it flow. And then you're just still thinking about that end reader. So I would say enjoy writing this draft and take your time. Nobody is telling you that this needs to be done like tomorrow. So yeah, make sure that you are happy with it. And I think, you know, when it clicks, you think actually, yes, I can run with this now. I think just kind of wait for that feeling is is my take on it. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, you know, and sometimes when I'm writing something, if we're writing a short story or writing anything, actually, I'll get into a mode and I've written it and I know I'm writing it, but then I take a day or two and I go back and reread it and it feels like somebody else wrote it. Like somebody took over my body and yes. wrote it and, and it just kind of poured yeah. out of you. And you're like, wow, did I write that? That's actually really good. Or, you know, um, you know, maybe the character kind of took over in a way. And so that's the reason why, you're like, well, if there's a criticism, the character wrote it, not me. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yeah, I, I get that feeling as well. Sometimes you sit and you go, huh, I just wrote 3000 words and it was really easy and it flowed. And some days it feels like you're writing one word at a time and each word is painful. And, you know, some people tell you don't write on those days. I found that pushing through it for this draft worked. If I was having a bad day, I just wrote a little bit less, but I still wrote something. Um, but yeah, if you ever want to talk through your ideas with me, I'm quite happy to. I love um, thrashing oh, stuff. Oh, totally. I might, I might take you up on that, especially the vampire stuff, because yeah, my idea is a little different. It's kind of a mesh of a bunch of different ideas that I've seen before, but it's kind of a little different than what I think I've read before. And I don't think anybody else has anything out there Great. like this. So I might definitely bring this to you, um, especially when I get some more stuff mapped yeah, out. But um, yeah, I, I, I'm really excited about writing this. So um, another thing I want to talk about was uh, the cover of the book, which I think is great. I love that you made it into a, a VHS <laughs> tape, kind of like Thank in the you. vein of um, my best friend's exorcism, how yeah. it also has a VHS tape cover. And I love how yes. I love how it's yeah. McCall home video. That's cute. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was my husband's it, idea. <laughs> the be kind rewind stuff. I love that. It's it's great. I, I think this is all neat. And did you paint like I know the sides are are darkened, like the edges of each page are darkened. So like the edges of the book are gray in a way. So was that a purpose to make it look like a videotape in a way or? Yeah, so that was the designer's idea. So what we did initially, I sent her a load of things I liked, but I said, I think what I like the best is the idea of doing it like a VHS tape. And um, and then Kat Ellis's proof came out of um, Harrow Lake was like a VHS tape. And I thought, oh man, you know, she's somebody's had that idea first. Um, but we still went with it. And she ended up, the designer used um, Interview of the Vampire Case as a reference. So the little cover there, oh. they did that on the original Interview of the Vampire VHS. So some of it she okay. got from that. And um, yeah, so what the designer decided was um, to put this edging on the page. I think you can probably see it, Justin, but if I explain to listeners, um, there's about a centimetre of grey around the edges so that as you're reading it, it's got this little border on the page. And we thought that that would look really interesting. And then when you close the book, it creates this illusion of stained edges and also illusion of a VHS case. Um so it all came together really well. We didn't have that idea until um, quite late on the designer suggested it. And we just all said, yes, let's do it. Yeah. And I like how you have the gas lamp um, for each chapter. You yeah. Know, again, to, that to kind yeah. of illustrate each chapter marking. Yeah. I think having a designer that In understood the, the book and had read and really enjoyed the book was really helpful. 
Yes, oh, the bats are so cute. I mean, that was, again, her idea. She put the, it on the front and then we just decided to run with it through the book. So if I just show it, I don't know, Dustin, you'll be able to see. But um, it's really nice how um, the page breaks them out with bats and then the um, the end of the book has a page with a load of bats spread across it. Um, it just seems like something fun, New Orleans and vampire related. And I just, you know, I really, really love what we did with the cover. It felt like a really collaborative it, process. Yeah. And it gives like the the book, it gives this, well, you know, while it's a, you know, it's a, it's not too dark, but it gives us a more light feel to it to where you're like, come on, it's fun. It's a little adventure, you know, and, yeah. and it, it kind of makes, not makes fun, but it, it kind of, pokes at the vampire mythology thing even though you don't really mention bats at yeah. all in in the story um no. but it kind of pokes fun at that and it's just fun you know it's just a nice little addition thank you and i think it's nice that there's little touches on the cover like you can see um it so it's a plantation home and in one of the um by one of the pillars there's a little shadowy figure so i like a cover that you can spot details that you didn't notice the first time around and the fact that you can i think you can tell it's a vampire book from the title from the little, you know, the images like there's a full moon that, which is obviously more werewolves, but it, it puts you in that ballpark, doesn't it? Um, and then the bats and the girl walking towards the house. I think it gives you a very clear atmosphere of what you're going to get from the book. I really like it, and I can't wait to spoof this cover. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'm excited to see what you do. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I I was so excited to read this, and I'm so glad that you sent it over to me. Thank you again for that. Um, oh, I, you welcome. know, I just yeah, I, and I I just thought it was awesome, and I, I really love. I'm so glad I read another vampire book. <laughs> I love vampire books. I just love them. <laughs> Cute or funny or horror or whatever. I think they're great. Um, so everybody listening, you can find Amy at YA Under My Skin on Twitter and Instagram, correct? Yes, that's right. Are you located anywhere else that people can find you? Yeah, so I'm on YouTube. I started a YouTube channel a few months ago um, under Amy McCaw, um, mainly because during COVID, I had to do all of my events online. So my launch, um, a couple of events that I did with other sort of horror thriller authors were all online. And I realized that I enjoyed talking to people like this. Um, and I didn't want it to stop when all the launch events died down. So I started a channel where I interview authors, I talk about books I've read, I'm planning to do some stuff on writing as well. But I just need to get a little bit further through editing this book before I start thinking about that. Oh, yeah, definitely. And you know, it's fun, you know, it's fun just getting on and talking to people about your craft or just something that you love and, you know, especially seeing their face from all over the world, you know, so it's, it's perfect. Yes. That's the perfect medium for it. That's awesome. I'm so, you know, um, make sure that you, my fellow Americans, <laughs> make sure you go to the book depository.com <laughs> um, to find this yeah. book, Mina and the undead by Amy McCall. You can try Amazon, but be weary because it might not be correct. So maybe go to the book depository first, if you yes. can. Um, I would, I would love, I'm probably going to try to get another copy if it gets published in the States. And I'm sure it might either have the same cover or might have a similar cover. It might be something different, you know, but I would love to get a, another copy of that. Um, and I can't wait to read the sequel, which will be out in September of 2022, correct? Yes, it will. Yeah. Just before Halloween next Yay! year. <laughs> that's perfect, actually, you know. Um, and so that's around the same time that I'm reading it. So that's great. Yeah. Uh, Thank you so much again. Thank you so much. And I'm so glad that Shelly put me in contact with you. And, you know, she's such a great 
cheerleader for authors and for, you know, YA horror and whatnot. She really is. Oh, yeah. um, Yeah, she's a great friend, a great person, um, a great advocate of books. So, yeah, I'm really glad that she put us in touch. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And again, thank you for sending it to me. I'm so happy to read it. I'm, I'm going to try to reread it again. I'm not much for a rereader, but some of these I will. And um, this is one of those ones that will be on the list for a reread. <laughs> oh, great. Thank you. I get so intense when I'm reading. I'm like, I soak in every detail for the most part. But this is something I'm like, well, maybe there's something I missed, you know, that I can find a clue that maybe it came in the beginning that I might see, you know. And are there clues, yeah, by the way? The, I don't know. Yeah. I did foreshadow quite a few things. I think there's some stuff that you will read and go, oh, that's what she meant with that. And um, there are some quite subtle references as well. So there's a Buffy reference, which is just a song um, that's from an episode where Spike and Drusilla dance together. Um, in one of the oh, settings, yeah. they play this song. And all, I, and all I do is mention a couple of the lyrics. So this band that played on Buffy also play in my book because, you know, it's the 90s, I can do that. I remember that scene. I was like, hey, I know what she's talking about here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I remember that scene. And that, scene. you know, that was like, that's the great joy of writing something like that, that you really find like-minded people because um, a few people messaged me and said, that's a Rasputina song from Buffy. And I was like, yes, you are one of my people. That's it. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Amy. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me on social media. On Twitter, I'm at Dustin underscore Holden. Or on Instagram, I'm at Dustin Can Read. You can also reach me via email at DustinCanReadPod at gmail.com. Also, please rate and review on Podchaser or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. It's really a big help for us podcasters, and we enjoy getting the feedback. And if you feel so inclined, please go to buymeacoffee.com slash Dustin can read and leave me a tip just if you want to no pressure thank you so much again for listening and remember until next time Dustin can read I really hope you liked it because that'd be really awkward now if you're like actually and it sure. was horrible um <laughs> no it was great it was great it got better as it <laughs> yeah, went along too so. hanging up now <laughs> <laughs> all right we're done